Today, I am thrilled to introduce to you our speaker. He's been with us once on a Thursday night, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time. I love to hear him preach. He's a credible preacher of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is gifted um, in so many ways. But the thing that so impresses with him, me is his, he's down to earth. He's the real deal. He's genuine. He has a genuine heart for people. Uh, and it's shown through how he takes the time for people and invests in them. He's a brilliant mind. Uh, he's gifted of God. And I want you to give it up right now to my friend. We're welcoming him back for the second time. Come on, Guthrie. I want to hear it from you too. Let's give it up to Manny as he comes to preach the word of God. Come on, let's give it up right now. Anybody grateful for the grace of God on your life? Come on. Uh, I'm super excited to be at North Church again. Was anybody here when I preached on a Thursday a couple of months back? Man, I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, I just want to encourage us, uh, before we sit down, want to encourage us around worship and around praise. I was doing research for a totally different sermon, and I was... Uh, researching the woman with the issue of blood. Anybody know about her? Anybody know about her? The woman with the issue of blood. And uh, I actually was doing some historical research, and uh, every commentary that I could find actually said that this hemorrhaging issue that this woman had, uh, in, with modern medicine in the year 2022, she could have lived a, a long time. Uh, but in the first century, based on uh, non-modern medication, uh, they would have actually given her 18 months to live. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. This woman would have been giving a prognosis that you have a year and a half. Get your affairs in order. This hemorrhaging issue is going to claim your life. But how many people know that she made it out of 18 months? She actually made it into two years. She made it into three years. She made it into four years. She lived five years, six, seven Eight, nine, this woman made it a decade with an issue that first century physicians said should have claimed her life in a year and a half. And how many people know she made it 11 years? She made it 12 years. And I, I want to encourage us because sometimes it's almost like we only worship once we're healed. But can I tell you the same God that heals you in year 12? is the same God that sustained you in year one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. I don't just want to praise God when I've got the blessing. I want to praise God on the journey to the miracle. I want to praise him for his invisible hand sustaining my life. I wonder if I'm preaching to anybody already that God may not have healed you, but he has sustained you. The church I come from, my mama used to say, my, my biological mama would always pray. She would say, God, thank you for keeping us from dangers, seen and unseen. That says there are some things, God, that you're doing that are behind the scenes. My physical eye can't see it, but that doesn't mean that you don't deserve glory and honor and praise. So come on. God, we thank you for all the things you're doing in my life. The things that are easy for me to appreciate and the things that maybe it takes discernment to appreciate. God, I thank you 
Thank you for breath in our bodies today. We thank you for blood coursing through our veins today. God, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And when the sun came up this morning, it was proof positive that your grace was available to us today. Thank you for the gathering of the saints. Come on, God, there's not every country in the world where people can gather this freely. So we don't take it for granted. God, we love you. We need you. We're desperate for you. Last thing I'll say, and I'll let you sit down. Uh, I was done studying for this message. Totally different sermon. Uh, and, and I said, man, this woman, you know, suffered for 12 years. And the Holy Spirit checked me. The Holy Spirit corrected me. He said, no, she didn't suffer for 12 years. She survived for 12 years. I wonder if I'm preaching to any survivors today. Come on, you didn't just suffer through the divorce. You survived the divorce. Come on, you didn't just suffer through the bankruptcy. You survived the bankruptcy. I wonder if I'm preaching to any survivors today. Come on, if you're a survivor, give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. You can high-five your neighbor or give them a handshake or a hug and have a seat. Oh, man, I'm super, super excited to be with you. I got a word for you today. Uh, I am from Dallas, Texas. My name is Manny Arango, and I'm from uh, the great state of Texas. Uh, and uh, took a long journey to get here. Nah, just joking. Quick 45-minute flight, but I'm really excited. And uh, I've been married uh, since 2014. And I think there's a picture of me and my beautiful bride. That's my wife right there. I love her. Mm, that's my, I call her my black girl magic. That's my black girl magic right there. And uh, uh, I think there's a picture of her and my son. Oh, that is my little guy. That is my son right there. And uh, just to give you a little bit of our story, uh, I shared this the last time I was here, but there are new faces in the room, new people in the room. Uh, doctors told us it was impossible for us to have children. Uh, we battled with infertility for about five years. Uh, it took us a while to get pregnant. Doctors said that it was completely impossible. Uh, there's grown-ups in the room, so I'll, I'll, I'll be frank and honest. Uh, when we went in, uh, there's a 50-50 chance when you're battling with infertility that it's the guy's fault or the woman's fault. And by fault, I just mean biological issues, you know, going on. And it was me. Uh, my wife was totally healthy, totally good, and uh, they told me I had no sperm, none, zero, okay? If you don't know what sperm is, you can Google it after church. <laughs> and so the first option they gave us, uh, and I don't even know if I told you this, Pastor Rodney, the first option they gave us was a sperm donor. Uh, second option they gave us was adoption, um, but they made it very clear that uh, you needed sperm to have children, okay? And, uh, but that little boy is my biological son. Uh, you're looking at somebody. <laughs> I, I would do a lap around church, okay? You're looking at somebody who had no sperm who had a biological kid. How, that how does that work? I don't know, but God can do anything. When we say you can do anything, you're looking at an absolute miracle. You're looking at a man who hugged my son before I left for the airport yesterday, and the doctor said that that would never, ever happen. I don't know what doctors have told you. I don't know what a loan officer has told you. I don't know what life has told you. I don't know what doubt has told you, but can I tell you this morning that anything is possible when you begin to add God to your circumstances. The doctor only knows the facts. The loan officer only knows the facts. God knows the truth. 
The facts and the truth are very, very different. The doctors knew the facts. The facts was that I didn't have what I needed biologically to have kids. The truth is that God had already called me a father. The truth is that he's my great physician that heals me. That's the truth. And until you add God's truth to man's facts, you don't even have the whole perspective on the matter. I get it. The loan officer has the facts. Your credit score, baby, that's a fact. Faith doesn't deny facts. Faith just adds God's truth to man's facts. The loan officer is holding you to facts. The facts are the facts. Great. But the truth is that God has said everywhere my foot goes, he's going to give me authority and he's going to give me territory. The truth of God's word and the truth of the rhema word of faith actually has to be added to whatever facts I'm dealing with. And so, okay, I'm preaching before I'm preaching. Okay, let's go to the book of Genesis. Come on. Anybody love Pastor Rodney? I sure do. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for, for not just being hospitable, but just being, being I feel like you're like, a, like an uncle in the faith to me. And uh, thank you for being kind to me. And um, I, I don't take it lightly when, when a senior pastor um, not only invites me to speak once, but twice. The first time is just an audition, you know what I'm saying? But if I'm here the second time, it means you want me to be family. And uh, thank you. Just thank you for the warmth and the hospitality. And thank you for being amazing. We love you. Thank you for the faith and the integrity that it takes offstage for there to be an amazing church like this. Um, we love you. We love you. And uh, we need you. So thank you so much. Um, come on. Anybody ready for a word today? Anybody ready for a word today? Um, I want to tell you something right out the gate, okay? I'm black. Okay. <laughs> You may not have noticed that when I got on stage, uh, which means I grew up preaching at a black church, okay? And at a black church, there's no ambiguity or confusion about whether or not you're doing a good job or a bad job, okay? At a black church, it's abundantly clear whether or not you're doing a good job or a bad job. If you're doing a bad job, okay, one of the church mamas typically sitting in this section over here, if you're doing a bad job, one of the church mamas will say, in the middle of your sermon, that means your jokes ain't funny, that means you, church mama ain't never been to seminary, but she know when she hear heresy, you know what I'm saying? Church mama know. Church mama's like, that don't sound right, okay? Uh, <laughs> church mama, if your sermon is bad, that means it's dry, that means you should have prayed more, you know? Uh, the church mama will stand up and say, help him, Holy Ghost. <laughs> and as a preacher, you're not even mad. You're actually saying, you know what? I agree with that church mom. I'm going to add my faith to her faith. Holy Ghost, please help me. But if you're preaching good, that same church mama that would have clowned you a week ago, a week ago, that same church mom will begin to stand up and just look at you like something smells bad. That same church mom will just look at you and start saying things like, boy, you better preach. Let's go. Okay, then. Okay. Say it again for the folks in the back. And my favorite thing that a black church mama says is this. Take your time, preacher. Take your time. Okay. So we're going to make an agreement. We're going to make an agreement. You didn't know that you woke up today and you was going to be black. Okay. You didn't know that. <laughs> but as long as you promise to act black, I'm going to promise to act white. And I'm going to preach this in 29 minutes and 43 seconds. Okay. There we go. Um, I, if we, come on, we got two ends of the bargain, all right? You got a job, I got a job, okay? You gonna shout me down, you gonna say amen, not because the ego, not because the ego of the preacher needs that, no. The reason we need you to say amen is because the power of life and death is in your tongue. Come on. 
I can preach till I'm blue in the face, but if I'm preaching about peace and you know you had a panic attack on your way to church, that's not a place for the enemy to make you silent and awkward. That's a good place to begin to claim the promises of God and say amen. Amen means so let it be. So I'm going to say amen in faith because I speak those things that be not as though they were. I need a good amen right there. Okay, so let's go to Genesis chapter 29. If you got a Bible, let's go to Genesis chapter 29. I got a word for you, uh, and, and I'm super excited. Uh, I'm going to grab my iPad. Genesis chapter 29. We're going to start reading in verse 21. Genesis chapter 29, verse 21. Um, and if there's a word that I don't say, uh, I'm going to have you say the word that I don't say. We're going to do a little fill in the blanks. Uh, Genesis chapter 29, verse 21. It should be up on the screens for us. There we go. Perfect. Then Jacob said to, give me my, my time is completed and I want to make love to her. Not necessarily what I would say to my father-in-law, <laughs> but hey, you know, do your thing, Jacob. Okay. Next verse, uh, verse 22. Uh, it says, so Laban brought together all of the, People. of the place and gave a what? Verse 23, but when evening came, that's important, that Laban waits until what? Evening, because Thomas Edison had not invented the light bulb, okay, there's no electricity. That means when it got dark, it's dark. And Laban's got uh, an okey-doke, he's about to pull on Jacob, okay? It's important that we remember that it's evening. He took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. Verse 24, and Laban gave his, serpent, his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, uh-oh, there was Leah. So Jacob said, Laban, what is this that you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you what? Deceived me. Can I stop and preach about that real quick? Two people want me to stop and preach. Can I stop and preach on that real quick? Come on. You forgot you was black that fast. Come on. Jacob says, why have you deceived me? Why have you tricked me? Now, I want to keep track of this because so often we get so distracted and so angry and so frustrated with the flesh and blood battle in front of us that we don't realize that while there's a flesh and blood person that you may be frustrated with or angry with or disappointed with, there's a God that is actually behind the scenes doing things. Let me explain. The Bible says that Laban does deceive Jacob, that Laban has negative intentions for Jacob. But how many people know if it had not been for Laban deceiving Jacob, he would never ever have married this woman named Leah. And Leah's fourth son is a boy by the name of Judah. And if you read these genealogies found in the Bible, you'll realize that Judah is actually the tribe that Jesus comes from. This is so important that in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the lion from the tribe of Judah, which means you telling me that if it had not been for Laban tricking Jacob, Leah would have never given birth to the very ancestor that produced Jesus. Can I tell you what Joseph says to his brothers are very true. What you meant for evil, God has meant for good. For the turning of many souls, can I tell you, you can never be so distracted. So frustrated at what's happening right in front of you that you lose sight of the fact that although people don't have the best intentions for you, that God has a hedge of protection around you, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I can never get so angry at my coworker or angry at my family member or so angry that now in my anger I've sinned and I curse the very thing that God is going to use to bless me. Oh, I need an amen in God's church. Come on, why have you deceived me? We just, we just read in the Bible. Verse 26, Laban replied, 
It is not our custom here. Laban, you should have told me that. What you mean it ain't our custom? <laughs> you could have told me that seven years ago, bro. It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also. Hashtag Old Testament. <laughs> or Utah. Anyway, come on. <laughs> okay, come on, come on, come on. Come on. In return for another seven years of work. Then Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave the serv servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also. Get this. This is where we're going to center our attention. And his love for who? Was what? Then his love for who? And he worked for Laban another seven years. I, I, I want to I talk a little bit, and then I'm going to announce my title. I'm going to talk a little bit, and then I'm going to announce my title. I, I want you to see the, the juxtaposition or the comparison between Rachel, who is beautiful on the outside, yet barren on the inside, and Leah, who's not as cute. Because you know you're not cute when the Bible says you're not cute. There's a whole other level of not cute, you know what I'm saying? Let's imagine me and Pastor Rodney are giving a single guy advice, and they're, you know, talking to us about some girl they're interested in, and me and Pastor Rodney, you're like, I don't know, I don't know, man, you think she's cute? Uh, I don't know. That's one level of not cute. But there's a whole other thing for Moses to be writing scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and for the Holy Ghost to remind Moses, remember, remember to tell him, <laughs> don't leave that detail out, okay, Moses, remember to tell him, Leah had a lazy eye, okay, just remember to tell him, remember to tell him, that's the Bible, that's not even me, that's, that's the Bible, okay. Leah, not cute but fruitful. Rachel, beautiful, but can't bear any fruit. And her physical barrenness is actually uh, connected to her spiritual and emotional barrenness. Let's talk about Rachel for a second. Jacob is enamored with her beauty. Love at first sight. Falls in love with this woman just by looking at her. No conversations, okay? No, no, no dates. Just sees her, and I mean, she bad, okay? And we mean the kind of bad that's good, okay? She bad. However, you keep reading in the story, and you find out that she steals her father's household gods. Now, imagine you go to a Thai restaurant with me, and, and pass a man and stole the Buddha. You'd be a little confused, because you would say, well, why is the Christian man, the pastor, stealing the statue of the Buddha? If I'm stealing a Buddha... I may just worship the Buddha, okay? So she's stealing household gods. Why is she stealing household gods? Because her heart is not actually faithfully devoted to Yahweh. She's stealing household gods because she's still an idol worshiper. Then, get this, the Bible's entertaining. You're gonna love this. Her dad Laban comes out and says, have you stolen the household gods? She got the nerve to have put the household gods on the camel, set on the camel, and says to her dad, you can't check the camel because I'm on my period. Now, I may get like two amens from some brothers, but any woman who's using her period and lying about it as an excuse to hide the truth, I just don't know if that woman can be trusted. I just don't know. So number one, she's an idol worshiper. Number two, she's a liar. Three, every single time her and Jacob can't get pregnant, she blames Jacob for why they can't get pregnant, which means she's emotionally manipulative. She's toxic, but she's pretty. <laughs> 
Attractive though. You know what I'm saying? Looks good, but is it good? Leah, on the other hand, not as cute. Not as cute, but fruitful. Not as cute, but can deal with, with, with her father tricking a man into marrying her, and she don't give that man no drama. <laughs> I'm sorry, but for most of us, we are in the same fork in the road as Jacob. Attracted to things that are beautiful, when really the stuff that God wants to bless you with doesn't look good, but it's always good for you. That the most fruitful stuff that God has for you doesn't look good on the outside. Oh, come on. Prayer ain't attractive, but it's fruitful. Fasting ain't attractive, but it's fruitful. Confrontation with people is not attractive, but it's fruitful. And so often we are drawn to things that are beautiful and neglect the Leah's in our life. Leah doesn't have to always be a relationship or a person. The first house that me and my wife bought, oh baby, that house was a Leah. That house was busted, that house was ugly, but I made over $100,000 when I sold that house because I bought it in the right neighborhood. I put equity into that house. Come on, that house was not attractive, but it was fruitful. Can I, can I preach this? Can I preach this? Can I help us today? When I grew up in church, I grew up in church my whole life, okay? Growing up in church, what I learned is that uh, uh, Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect garden. What I've now discovered is that's not true at all. The garden is not perfect. Uh, actually, there's a specific word that God uses on day one, day two, day three, day four, and day six, day five and day six to describe the creation that he's creating. And it is good because a perfect garden would have made Adam and Eve lazy. Uh-oh. But God puts them in a good garden and then says what? This is yours to work. God don't give you perfect children. He gives you good children. And then you get your hands dirty and you start sowing seeds and you speak things into existence and you create great children because God gave you good children. God don't give you a perfect spouse. Don't say amen too loud. Your spouse may be next to you. God don't give you a perfect spouse. What does he do? He gives you a good spouse. And then you roll, up your hand, you roll up your sleeves. You get your hands dirty. And you praise them. And you compliment them. And you affirm them into the person that God had already intended for them to be. The, the goal is not for God, all the entrepreneurs in the room. God don't give you perfect employees. He gives you good employees. And you cultivate them into the people that they need to be. If we are gonna be the kind of people who prioritize Leah, who have discerning eyes for Leah and are not distracted by the Rachels in our life, then that means we're gonna to have to prioritize fruitfulness over beauty. Fruitfulness over attraction. If we are going to prioritize fruitfulness in our life, everybody say fruitful. God wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to flourish. He wants the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in your life. Can I go, can I, can I, can we go deeper? Yes. Genesis is so clear about fruitfulness that he says to Adam and Eve, I want you to multiply and be fruitful. Now, I used to think uh, that those were synonymous terms, that to multiply, to be fruitful, and to multiply meant the same thing. 
But then I walked through five years of infertility, and that one verse annoyed the mess out of me. So I'm like, why could God, why can God command me to do something that I'm not able to do? I'm here, I'm trying to be fruitful and multiply, and I can't. And God revealed to me that to be fruitful and to multiply are two separate different things. And it's the enemy's goal to get unfruitful people to multiply. Uh Uh-oh. Cancer is not fruitful, but it multiplies. And my wife's ratchet cousin was unfruitful, but pregnant every two years. And my wife's grandmother had custody of all six of these kids. Because the enemy's goal is not to attack unfruitfulness with infertility, but to attack fruitfulness with infertility. Because the enemy can't stop you from being fruitful. The enemy can only stop you from multiplying. Oh, I'm going to preach this. I'm going to preach this. So what did fruitfulness look like for me and my wife? Although we could not control whether or not we had children, we could control whether or not the fruit of the Spirit was evident in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Come on, self-control. So me and my wife made decisions. I took over all Father's Day festivities at our church. A day where so many people that struggle with infertility boycott church. I decided to hand deliver grills to dads because I cannot go where I refuse to sow. If I'm trying to go into fatherhood, that means I have to sow into fathers. Me and my wife started babysitting for people in our church that had kids. My wife started doing girls' hair in the church that belonged to single mamas. My wife started taking over Mother's Day festivities at the church because I can only control whether or not I'm fruitful. I cannot control whether or not I'm fertile. And I've got to say, i got to control what I can control. I can be fruitful. And if I'm fruitful, there's always going to be more opposition to me multiplying my fruitfulness. The enemy is not going to allow me to multiply easily if I'm a fruitful person. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody. Because you have confused fruitfulness with multiplication. We all do. Because we're so in love with the end goal, the end result, the destination. And God says, no, 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 no. The journey is what proves to me that you're fruitful. The end result is just multiplication. And if you would be faithful over being fruitful, I would be faithful over multiplying every single thing in your life. I need a good amen right there. If we are going to be fruitful people, anybody learning anything today in church? Come on. Is this encouraging anybody? If we are going to prioritize fruitfulness, then that means that we have to begin to control the seeds in our life. Everybody say seeds. Seeds. I don't need to be jealous of the fruit that my brother or my sister has when I've got the seed to produce that same fruit. And I've neglected my seed because seed never looks like fruit. Oh, come on. If you go to Walmart and you go get watermelon seed, it does not have stripes on it. Right? Because you have to have faith in order to use seed. You have to see situations in life and go, this doesn't look anything like the thing that God promised me. But if I cultivate this and work this and sow this, I know that the seed will produce a harvest for me. 
There are five seeds every single person has. Everybody say five seeds. Five seeds every single person has, and I got 13 minutes and 15 seconds to give you all five. Let's go. Number one, your words. Write this down, your words. Your words are seeds. When your words leave your mouth, they're not just words. You are sowing seed into your future. Me and my wife, we struggled with infertility for five years. Let me, let me tell you something. We never confessed we're infertile. Because the situation's already bad. Why would I make a bad situation worse with the negative words that come out of my mouth? I cannot control whether or not we have children, but I can control how I feel about the fact that we haven't had children. And out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth speaks. Why would I make a bad situation worse by, by, uh, by being toxic and being negative? And some of us, the problem isn't the problem. The problem is what you've said about the problem. God looks at the darkness, and God does not, in Genesis chapter 1, God looks at the darkness, and God does not say, O-M-E, it's dark. You get it, O-M-E? God does not say, O-M-E, it's dark. No, he says, let there be light. We are the kind of people who, come on, we look at cancer, and we say, let there be healing. We look at infertility, and we say, let there be children. We look at poverty, we say, let there be wealth. We look at places that don't have a Bible translation, and we say, let there be the word of God. Let there be generosity. And here we go, this is a two-fold relationship. Now I'm about to step on your toes. I don't, if words are seed, then that means I don't only have to maintain how I talk, but I also have to put a fence around the garden of my soul so that the wrong person doesn't sow seed into my life. Ooh. Okay, okay, husbands, okay, husbands, okay. That means you can't be all that surprised when the fruit of attraction grows, but you've allowed your secretary to sow seeds of compliments for the last five years. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. See, your wife is the dominant seed sower. I hope she should be. Wives, your husband is the dominant seed sower. If your love language is words of affirmation, you can't just let any old person, oh, you look pretty, oh, if you lost weight, and then your husband doesn't compliment you, and now you're surprised when your personal trainer has been complimenting you, and now the fruit of attraction has grown. Pastor Rodney can stand up on stage and sow faith seed every single Sunday, 52 weeks in a year. But if your church hurt uncle who don't believe in tithing is talking to you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, it's going to be real hard to uproot all that seed that's been going into the soil of your mind all week long and sow new seed. At some point, you're going to have to take inventory who has been sowing seed into the soil of my soul, into the soil of my mind? When me and my wife were struggling with infertility, uh, uh, I, I would get around people who were full of faith. If anybody said, oh yeah, we tried in vitro fertilization, it didn't work, I'd be like, okay, great. You and your doubt, you can go over there. I'm commanded to love everyone, I'm not commanded to talk to everyone. And me being in conversation with you, is going to result in my faith decreasing. Okay, get this. Can we, can, we, can we keep going? I was a youth pastor for a long time. I was a youth pastor for a decade. Children, uh, t teenagers would always say to me, I'd go to a youth group and I'd be like, hey, are y'all dating? Is this your boyfriend? Is this your girlfriend? I love embarrassing teenagers, you know? 
And inevitably, 95% of the time, a teenager would say, no, Pastor Manny, that's not my boyfriend. We just talking. And I would kindly let them know there is no such thing as just talking. No such thing. I'm trying to think, what's a creative way I can say this at North Church? What's a creative way I can say, oh, okay, here we go, Pastor Rodney. Eve and the serpent was just talking. Just talking. What's so bad with talking? Yeah, what's so bad with you talking to your church hurt uncle? The problem is the more you talk to your church hurt uncle, the less you have faith for everything that God wants to do in your life, the less you plant yourself in church, the less committed you are, the less you are generous. What do you mean what's the harm that can happen? Whoa, 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 whoa. You're in a covenant relationship with the church. You're not in a covenant relationship with your uncle. See, I'm stepping on toes. Words. I have to first take inventory over the words coming out of my mouth. What am I saying? Are my words full of faith? Are my words full of hope? Are my words uh, full of, of what God is going to do in the future? Second, what words am I allowing to come into my life? Next, tears. Uh, give me Psalm chapter 126. Psalm chapter 126, tears. We're going to get through these. We got eight minutes. Come on, pray. Somebody pray. I need mothers of the church to pray. Okay. Uh, those who sow with what? Will what? Reap with songs of joy. That means when I, when, I, when I cry, that's not just moisture leaving my face. That's a, tea, that's a seed that I'm sowing. I'll give you a good example. I was at a youth event one time. I love teenagers. This girl comes running down to the altar. She says, Pastor Manny, I just need you to pray with me. I need help because I love this dude. I love him so much. And we've been dating for a long time. I tried to break up with him, but I love him. I can't break up with him. I know he ain't saved. And he don't love God, but I love him so much. And, and I went, whoa, stop. You double sowing. You sowing words and tears simultaneously. No wonder you can't get over him. You think that if you cry, you'll vent enough and get over it. I'm telling you every time you cry, it's tethering you to this person. Ooh. Because where you cry is where you sow seed. And you don't just reap what you sow, you reap where you sow. The message of our culture says, just cry. As long as you cry, as long, just be authentic. You never heard this? That's our culture. Be authentic. But that's not the Bible. The Bible don't say be authentic. The Bible say crucify your flesh. The Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible don't say nothing about being authentic. Be the, be the best you. No, the Bible says the heart is wicked above all things. Don't be you. Be like Christ. The Bible says crucify. I'm crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. Nevertheless, by faith, Christ lives by faith in me. Come on. The Bible doesn't say be authentic. Next, come on, we gotta move, we gotta move, we gotta move. I'm preaching, I'm preaching. Number, number three, number three. Time, time, time. If you are completely caught up, uh-oh, on all your Hulu shows, all your Netflix shows, YouTube, Paramount Plus, I, I can't keep up with all these streaming Disney Plus, you all caught up, you are fully entertained, and Barna says that 94% of Christians have never read the Bible. 
94% of Christians have never read the Bible cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation. Never read it. And so you can't be all that surprised when anxiety, the fruit of anxiety, is prevalent in your life and peace is not. Because the fruit of the Spirit requires that you sow time into the Spirit so that you can reap from the Spirit. Where do you sow your time? Because if you think that 90 minutes a week, if you think that Sunday morning from 8.30 to 10 is going to do it, I'm here to tell you, you have, you have fooled yourself. That is not the truth. That is not the truth. Actually, you, you need to wake up with a confession on your lips. Every single day of the week, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Come on. Sickness will not dwell in me. Sin will not dominate me. I'm going to look at myself in the mirror and declare that the word of the Lord is true and that God's word over my life is true. Come on. I am the head only and not the tail. I'm above only and never beneath. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I declare I'm not going to be anxious today about stuff that's yet to happen and I'm not going to be depressed today about stuff that happened in the past. I'm going to walk in power and authority today. You better spend time in the Word of God every day. In prayer every day. Time. Number four. Number four. Money is a seed. Money is a seed. Give me Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. As the rain and the snow come down from where? And do not return to it without watering the earth and making it what? And? Come on, we want your life to bud and flourish. Amen? So that it yields, get this, seed for the who and bread for the who. If I eat everything that God gives to me, God puts me on the bread plan. Because God doesn't give seed to eaters. I need you to see it one more time. I see confused looks in the crowd, okay? Come on, give me Isaiah 55 one more time. So that it yields what? Seed for who? So who's qualified to get seed? Sowers. Who's qualified for bread? Eaters. So if Starbucks keeps getting God's 10%, if I don't have the discipline to say, you know what? The 10% is holy. It's set apart unto the Lord. Date night is not about to get this 10%. Starbucks is not going to get this 10%. My groceries not going to get this 10%. God is giving me wealth, and every time God brings money into my life, I have a question to ask. Is this seed or is this bread? Is this seed to sow or is this bread to eat? And I'm going to be honest with you. I've been a Christian since I was 13 years old. I've been tithing since I was 14. I've been tithing for a long time. Two years ago, the Holy Spirit corrected me, checked me, real rude, said 10% ain't even hard for you anymore. Why are you stuck on 10%? 10% has now become a lid where it used to be a platform for you to jump off your faith. Now it's become a lid. So I don't need you to ask, am I giving 10%? Because let me be honest with you. If Jesus had tithed his blood, we'd all still be going straight to hell. The goal is not simply to tithe. The goal is to live a sacrificial lifestyle, which may mean more than 10%. It may look like 15%. It may look like 20%. 
There's three kinds of giving in the Bible. I want to talk about all three. I got a minute and 20 seconds. Woo! Talk about all three. Number one, spontaneous giving. This is the kind of giving even heathens do. Somebody dies, they didn't have life insurance, you see a GoFundMe? Come on, don't act like you never seen a GoFundMe. Even heathens will give. Spontaneous giving. I heard of a need, I'm going to give. Next level of giving is systematic giving. We believe in percentage giving because we believe in percentage living. Wealthy people know the percentage of their income that goes towards housing. Wealthy individuals know the percentage of their income that goes towards transportation. The reason that God gave you a percentage is so that you can begin to manage all of your money. If you are giving God 10, but then frivolously wasting 90, that is not God's will for your life. Number three, sacrificial giving. It's above and beyond the 10%. It's saying every time I get paid, the operative question is not, am I going to tithe? The operative question is this. Is this seed? How much of this is seed and how much of this is bread? What can I eat and what can I enjoy and what should I sow? Last, number five, the fifth form of seed. Fifth seed, John chapter 12. You can give me John chapter 12 on the screen. The media team is crushing it today. This is incredible. I'm spoiled. Next church that I go to, I'm going to be like, what's going on? Why, why you ain't got it? Come on. Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus talking. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and what? It remains only a single. But if it, it produces many seeds. You know why there are millions of Christians around the globe gathered today, full of hope, full of peace, full of life, is because Jesus did not hoard his life or keep it to himself, but Jesus sowed his life into the tomb. And on Sunday morning, three days later, they came and the fruit of life was busting out of the garden because Jesus died to himself. You want to know the most powerful thing you can say to the Lord is this. You died for me, and so now I'll die for you. I will die to my pride. I will die to my selfishness. I will die to my comforts and my conveniences. I'll die to my own arrogance. I'll die to my thoughts. I'll die to me. I'll die to every generational curse that has claimed people before me. I will die. I will go get into a therapist. I will go get and sit in front of a therapist. I'll do whatever you want me to do, God, because I want to sow myself into the soil of my family, into the soil of my church, into the soil of this world. And I want people to come to life because of the seed that I put in the ground. Your family doesn't just need your time. Your family doesn't just need a couple of dinners every week. No, they need you. They need you to wrap yourself up as a seed and decide, oh no, what good is it if I become a Christian but I stay selfish? What good is it if I, if, I, if I become a Christian but remain self-centered? What good is it if I become a Christian but I've made everything about my Christianity about me? I was talking to a young adult recently, and I was like, hey, why aren't you going to church? And they said, well, since the pandemic, you know, church just doesn't do a lot for me. And I said, whoa, church is not designed to do a lot for you. Church is where you come not to consume, but where you come to contribute. 
Church is where you come to volunteer so that people who don't have life and don't have hope that are full of anxiety and depression can come into God's house. This is a place not for you to be served, but for you to serve and to give your life to other people. What are you talking about? We need you here because this is a hospital for the sick. This ain't a place for you to hang out. It's not an aquarium. No, we need you to get a net and fish for men and become a fisher of men and women so that God's house can be full of people that have come to new life. We need you to die to yourself. You're not just here because the preaching is good and the worship is great and the production is awesome. No, you're here so that your life can be planted as a seed so that you can get new life. Is this word blessing anybody? Did this bless you today? Come on, is this bless you today?